In Psalms chapter 118, verses 22 through 24, the stone that these builders reject has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This morning, are we getting there? Okay, I, I hear something now. I can hear me if, you, if whether or not you can hear me, I can hear me. Well, welcome to Glenpool Church of Christ. Both in person, online, we're glad that you're here. We're glad you decided to come join us, and we are a body of believers who place a great deal of emphasis on being people who long to be more like Christ. We, we want to grow and become more. Uh, and better as a reflection of his image so we can be light and salt to a, a world that desperately needs it more and more with each passing day. And, and we express our desire to grow like Christ by belonging, learning, and serving. So we are glad you are here in whatever means you are present with us this morning. Thank you very much for being a part of our worship service. All right, so let me, uh, I think I fell out again. Let's just go here. You want to go here? Now, you guys keep me honest and keep me back here because I have a tendency to wander, you know. It, it's interesting to think that at this particular moment, right now, at this very moment, every human being on this planet is divided into one of two groups. The saved and the lost. At this moment, every human being on this planet is divided into one of two groups, eternally saved, eternally lost, and the factor that decides which group we're in is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything we have, everything we do, well, what decides who we are and where we fit, that has to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you coming for this? Now, for those who see Christ and accept Christ and recognize him as their Lord and Savior and receive the pardon that Christ brings, he's our cornerstone. And I love Joshua's choice. Thank you very much. Joshua preached for us a great sermon with our song service, right? So thank you very much for that. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. But for those who do not accept Christ, for those who have rejected Christ, who have turned their backs on Christ... He's not a cornerstone. He becomes a stumbling stone. All right, let's see if we can switch. There we go. Switch over. So everything has to do with our relationship with Christ. Whether we're part of the eternal saved and he's our cornerstone, we're part of the eternal lost and he's our stumbling block. And each of us, every one of us, has to make the decision on who Christ is to us. And our relationship with him and what that means in eternity. Because that relationship affects us both now and forever. And so now the question this morning is why does Jesus get that, why does Jesus get that position? Why does he get to be the one who is the, the pivot between whether we're eternally lost or eternally saved? And that is what our lesson is this morning. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible describes Christ as a living stone. Christ is the living stone. 
Let's read a few verses together. Let's go in 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse 4. It will be on the screen, but we'd love for you to open your Bible and join with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, Jesus Christ, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Let's stop there for just a minute. There are three times in this passage, and the first one we just saw here in verse 6, three times where Peter is inspired by the Holy Spirit to look back at Old Testament prophecy, and each one of those Old Testament prophecies uses the, the coming Messiah and, and this is, as represented as a stone. And here he's a living stone. This is a prophecy from Isaiah. So 700 years, give or take, before the Messiah comes on the scene, the Holy Spirit has inspired the Isaiah to prophesy, this is coming. There's a living stone. And he's coming to Mount Zion. Now this is a clue for us readers. It's a clue for what God is trying to tell us. Through the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Peter, through Peter, and now through God's word here this morning, the living stone. This is, this is a contrast between the way people used to come to God in the old covenant versus how people come to God in the new covenant. In the old covenant, there was the temple on the temple mount in Jerusalem, and that was where God dwelt. In the New Testament, we have a living stone. So rather than having uh, dormant, dead, lifeless stones that make up the temple, now we have a living stone. Who's the cornerstone? The very first one laid in the building. And I'm sure in the classes you discussed this, the very first one laid in the corner that sets the pattern for all the rest. It's the foundational stone on which the rest of the structure is built. And so we have Jesus Christ as this cornerstone, the living stone, it says in verse 4. What that means is that New Testament believers have a far... Well, okay, let's do it this way. Have all the blessings of the Old Testament believers to an infinitely greater degree. So let's just let's contrast the, the old temple that used to be on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem with the new temple who is Jesus Christ, the living stone. In the Old Testament temple, it was made out of, as we said, dormant, lifeless stones. And what's interesting is Christ, or God the Father, was present but not necessarily accessible. It's not a criticism for God. But, but, but let me see if I can flesh that out a little bit. Present uh, in the Holy of Holies, in the, in the inner sanctum of the temple, but not, necessar not necessarily ex accessible. The only ones who could come into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies were the, the, the priest, and then it was the high priest, and it was once a year. And so worshipers could come out in the court of the women or the court of the, the, court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, even the court of the men that was next to the gate where the altars were given or where the sacrifices were given. But only the priest could go into the Holy of Holies where, where God was present and only do that once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so God was present in, in, this, in this temple made of lifeless stones, but he was not necessarily accessible. And now we have Christ as the living stone, and now he is the living stone. And it says that you and I are, are, are like living stones, verse 4. And so we are built, being built into a spiritual house. Now, the world values God, Christ, quite differently than what, 
what God, the Father, values His Son. The Scripture says in verse 4, I think it is, that, that the world has rejected the Messiah, the stone that comes, this living stone. But God the Father has chosen Him, and He is precious to the Father. So here's this idea. This new generation of believers possesses all the blessings of the previous generation, but to an infinitely greater degree. And verse 5 says, those who come to Christ are like living stones. These living stones are continually being built into a spiritual house. So we have the physical house in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount with dormant, lifeless stones. And the spiritual house of which Christ is the cornerstone and all the rest of them come off, the, off him. And, and he's the one who sets the, the, the plumb and the level. And the, it's a spiritual living house. Night and day difference. Night and day difference. Not only are believers the living stones of this new spiritual temple, but as spiritual living stones in this temple, now these new believers get to offer sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices that Scripture says are pleasing to God. Now the reason these spiritual sacrifices are pleasing to God because they're made through Jesus Christ. That's what it says in verse 5. And Peter doesn't elaborate on what these spiritual sacrifices are. But in the Old Covenant, you would take your sacrifice, you would bring it to the priest, the priest would take it and, and, and cut the throat, or you would cut the throat. The, the sacrifice was used up and, and destroyed in the giving of it, whether it was a, a goat or a bull or a ram, whatever it was, if it was an animal, it was, it was killed and cut and burnt on the altar. If it was a drink offering or, or a grain offering, it would be poured out on, on the ground. And so the, it was, these sacrifices were used up in the giving of them to God. Now contrast that with the New Testament. When we give ourselves as living sacrifices, we don't have to go very far to find a, a sacrifice that we as living stones of part of this, this spiritual temple can offer in terms of spiritual sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is our reasonable spiritual act of worship. Offer our bodies as living sacrifices. The beauty of the living sacrifice versus the, the dying sacrifice is that we get to live to offer that sacrifice over and over again. I can offer that sacrifice today. I can crawl up on the altar of, of self-sacrifice, of, of self-giving and self-service and, and of love to God and, and faithfulness to Christ. I can do that tomorrow as well and the day after that. And the day after that, I continually offer myself as a living Sacrifice. We can offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Romans 12, 2. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says we can offer praise as a sacrifice to God, an acceptable sac sacrifice to God. Lips that acknowledge Him, lips that praise Him. Another living sacrifice that we can give today and tomorrow and the next day and, 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 and even beyond when Christ calls us home to be with Him in heaven. Hebrews 13, 16. We can offer, offer helping and sharing as living sacrifices acceptable to God. It says to, to do good and to share. And then Jesus in Matthew, you remember when he was asked the greatest commandment? Well, it's the, first, the first and the greatest is to love God with your whole being, right? Heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he goes on, he gives a, a bonus answer. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. These are sacrifices we can give to God, loving people. Our hearts, loving God and loving people. And they're pleasing to God because they're made through Christ. So here's the picture. Imagine this. We have this, this temple that used to exist. It's no longer there, built by lifeless stones on a lifeless temple mount. 
where God is in the Holy of Holies and he's there, but he's not really accessible. And the priest offered the sacrifice. They're the connection between us and God. And we have that picture over here. Then we have the picture of the living spiritual temple with Christ as the living cornerstone. By the way, living to never die again. Resurrected and never experienced death again. And then we as living stones are joined with that to become a spiritual temple that's alive and breathing and growing. And as we become, become more and more like Christ and we join in and offer our praise of sacrifice to him acceptable to God, of worship, of song, of giving, of loving, of, of, of self-sacrifice. As we offer these sacrifices to him, we grow stronger and stronger into this bolder house of, of worship, the spiritual temple in which we reflect more and more of the image of God and become more and more change agents in the world for God and for Christ. And Peter in verse 6 quotes Isaiah to make this point. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. The builder's laying the cornerstone, the very first stone in the construction of a new building, and it's the one that sets the pattern for all the ones to follow. And this new construction is taking place in Zion, where the old temple used to exist. And the message there is clear. When you have something that's infinitely better, you choose that over what became before it was now inferior. I was thinking about how do, you, how do, I, how do I visualize that in my head? Because I don't know about you, but if I can see it in my mind, I can grasp it. Imagine we have a lot of youngsters running around here, and they're running around here. And, but imagine, remember when they used to crawl? When, when we grow up and when we learn how to walk, it, 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 it wouldn't make much sense for us to go back to crawling. Imagine if Joshua crawled up here to lead singing and I crawled up here to preach and we crawled, the, the communion service crawled. We, we'd think, well, that's, there's a lot better way to do that. that. That's an inferior way to do what we're doing. So when we learn to walk, we, that doesn't mean we never crawl, but the most efficient way, the best way to do what we do is to walk. The same thing is true when we have an old temple, and that's what you have, and that's what God gave, and that's what he intended, and it was perfect in his, in his time and in its way. That's what you do. But when God brings something that's superior, you take the old, you set it aside, and you embrace the new, and you go that Christ is our living stone. And the living stone is either a cornerstone or a stumbling stone. Either a cornerstone or a tumbling stone. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's begin reading in verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 7. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become a capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble... Because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's stop there for just a minute. So for unbelievers, Christ is a stumbling stone. This is what, a, this is what Isaiah prophesied about 700, give or take, years before Christ came. And what, what God's doing by inspiring Peter to remember this prophecy from Isaiah, 
He's reminding his readers, both the original readers and you and me today, this is not new. And Jesus told his disciples, I'm telling you this in advance so when it happens you won't be surprised. That's what God's doing right here. He told us in advance through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before the Messiah came, 2,000 years before we came, hey, it's going to happen. There are those who are going to exercise their free will and they're going to exercise their free will not to accept Christ and the pardon that he brings for the sins that we've committed. That's exactly the point he's trying to make here. And Scripture is clear as to the destiny of unbelievers. Pardon me. Verse 7, that, that part of verse 7 says, But for those who do not believe, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Now, uh, anytime you start talking about destiny or, or destination or predestination, the conversation can, can take a twist pretty quick. So let me just start by saying what Peter's not talking about, what, what the Holy Spirit has not inspired Peter to say. Peter is not saying that there are some people that God created in order to destroy. God created certain people and he predestined them to be rebellious and to disobey God and to reject Jesus as their Savior so he could destroy them. That's not what he's saying. And you don't have to take my word for it. The proof is right here in the passage. Look at me, look with me if you would. And I believe it's verse 8. Yes. They stumble because they disobey the message which is what they were destined to do. The three key verbs in there. Verse 7, they do not believe. That's one of the key verbs. Verse 7, they do not believe. Verse 8, stumble and disobey. All three of those verbs are present tense. It's not perfect tense. They, they are stumbling. They will continue to stumble. They are destined to stumble. That's not what he's saying. It's present tense. And so you could literally and honestly be honest to the text. You could translate this, those who are currently not believing, they are currently stumbling because they are currently disobeying the message. But God holds out hope and, and, and a desire that they will change, that that won't be their future status. That is their current status. And so they're not predestined to rebel and be destroyed, but they're at this moment destined for destruction if they don't change. Anyone who continually disbelieves and continually disobeys and continues to stumble is destined for condemnation. But if you look at verse 12, and we'll get there in a minute, but let's just take a brief, uh, let's take a, a preview here real quick of verse 12. There's evangelism all through this passage, but it's just it's, it's stated clearly in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify you on the day he visits. They're, those who are disobeying or, or disbelieving now, they are currently stumbling, they're currently falling because they're currently in disobedience. But the goal is that we would be a light shining in the darkness. That we'll be people who long to be more like Christ, disciples of Christ, who belong, learn, and serve, who, who go out there and proclaim the message. And we proclaim the message and we're attractional and we proclaim the gospel in a way that it appeals to people's lives and, and addresses their, where they are. So that by the time Christ comes, they're no longer in disobedience, they're no longer stumbling, they're no longer falling, but they've accepted Christ. And now he's their, their cornerstone as well. 
So to those who resist him, he is a stumbling stone. But to those who are obedient to him, verse 9, he is a precious cornerstone. Some wonderful blessings there that, by the way, are far superior to what the Old Testament believers had. In verse 9, we are a chosen people. Chosen for what? Chosen to be co-heirs with Christ. Have you ever thought you're just you're written into God's will? You're written into God's will. I mean, if you ever want to be written in a will, that's the one you want to be written into. You're adopted into God's family. If you ever want to be adopted into the family, that's the one to be adopted into. Sons and daughters with Christ, the one-of-a-kind son, to be a part of that family. We are a chosen people to share in the privileged status of Jesus Christ. We're a royal priesthood. We no longer have to take our sacrifices to the the priest and hand it off to them so that they can connect us with God. We are now the royal priesthood to offer our sacrifices directly to God. Wonderful, wonderful blessings. We're a holy nation. A nation not based on ethnicity or geography, but based on faith in Christ and a people belonging to God. No longer slaves, no longer owned by slave masters, no longer owned by conquering nations. And all these these examples are exhibited in the scripture. No longer slaves and being owned by sin or by Satan, but now we are owned by God. And the purpose of these great mercies is in verse 9, so that we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into the light. Church, we're called to be a people who bring light to darkness, who bring stability to people who are stumbling. And we can do that by praising the glories of the God who's given us his mercies and taking what was a wonderful blessing in the old covenant and made it infinitely better for you and me under this new covenant. Well, so we have this choice. Christ is a stumbling stone or a cornerstone. And we're called to be people who express his mercy, who show the world of who he is and who we are in him and who they can be in him so that we can give glory to God on the day that Christ returns. Now, for those who choose to follow Christ, the call is purity. How do we do that? How are we a light to a dark dark and dying world? And the call is purity. Let's go back to the text one last time. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's start in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. We'll stop there. There's three reasons here why you and I as Christians need to be different. Not not arrogant, not prideful, sort of not sinful pride, but different. And the first one is in the first part of verse 11. We need to be different because of our citizenship. Peter refers in verse 11, the first part of verse 11, to believers as aliens and strangers. The King James says pilgrims and strangers. This again throws us back into the Old Testament. You remember when God freed the Israelites out of, out of Egypt? They, they cried out for deliverance. He sent them to deliver Moses. Moses came and set his people free, and they go out and, the, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They were wilderness wanderers. They were aliens and strangers in the wilderness until God brought them home to their promised land. That's the word picture that's being drawn for you and me as believers. That's what Peter's referring to in verse 9. We are aliens and strangers. This, this world is not our home. That's another song we sing sometimes, right? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. 
We tend sometimes to build really comfortable nests so that we kind of think this world is our home, but, that, but we are aliens and strangers. This is not what we were made for. This is our journey. This is our destiny. And just as the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years to prepare them for the promised land, God's preparing us in our wilderness wandering, which is our life here, for the promised land we have, which is a home in heaven. The time between accepting Christ and the physical death is our wilderness wandering. And as citizens of heaven, we have to be different. Another reason we need to be different is still in verse 11, because of an ongoing war. The latter part of verse 11 speaks, speaks of a war pitting fleshly lusts against our very souls. We're in a war. We've talked about this before in this very passage. We're, we're not innocent civilians in a, in a war between God and Satan. We are frontline soldiers who are called in Ephesians to put on the full army of God and go out and stand our ground. And we're called to do that because there's a war going on and Satan would like nothing more than to steal our souls from God the Father because he knows that's what would hurt him the most. And if we read that passage, it's easy for us to think, well, okay, this has to do with sexual sin, and it certainly does. But we need to realize that Satan has a far more uh, broader range of temptations to throw at us than just one type of sin, one type of temptation. Uh, Paul, in his letter to the churches in Galatia, he, he addresses this in chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, he says, The act of the flesh, the act of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, there's that. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. Satan has this wonderful repertoire of things to throw at us, to tempt us, and, and, and this is his desire to, to battle against our souls, to steal us from God, to, to negate the salvation that God gave us, and, and for those who of us put our faith in Christ, to negate that salvation as well. And the cost of losing this war is extreme, to say the least. Not only do we risk the possibility of losing our physical lives, we also risk the possibility of losing our eternal souls. Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, I warn you as I did before, those who live like this, live according to the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. We've got to be different people because of the ongoing war for our souls. Third reason, verse 12, we need to behave differently because we're being watched. Did you ever stop to think that, you're setting, that you are an example? I don't know about you, but, but it's easy to go through the day and just think, I'm just me. I'm just me doing me. But I guarantee you, it doesn't matter what age you are, doesn't matter where you are in life, somebody's looking at you. And if they know you're a Christian, and hopefully they do, then they're looking at you and they're measuring you up against what they understand Christianity to be like. Now, the truth is that for some people, we will never measure up. But for those who understand what Christianity is and what God's called us to be, they're looking to see if we're striving to be disciples who long to be more like Christ. Not, not are we perfect, but are we the real deal? Are we struggling? Are we trying? Are we working to become more like him? Back in the old days, in, in the times of biblical times, believers were called pagans. And they were called pagans because they didn't have idols. It seems a little moronic, doesn't it? I mean, but that was the mindset of the world at that time. <clears throat> we're, we're, we're moving that direction now. Where if, if, if all you care to do is to please God and worship him and glorify him, then you're, you're a little weird. 
But it's the kind of weird God calls us to be. The kind of strange God calls us to be. So that when somebody else runs out of other false hopes to rely on, I can trust in my own abilities, I can trust in my own skills, I can trust in my own intelligence, I can trust in Buddha, I can trust in Allah, I can trust in science, I can trust in, I can, I can trust in the fact that I don't trust anything, I'm agnostic, I'm, I'm atheist. When, when they run out of things to trust in, and we're still trusting, and we're still loving, and we're still serving, and we're still light, then they find an answer. We're called to be those people. Obviously different lives, to win over some, that's, uh, if you're like me, that's an inspiring challenge. It's also very daunting to live lives that recommend Christianity. As living stones built around the cornerstone, let us rejoice and be glad. Colton read it for us, Psalm 118, beginning verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He goes on to say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Church, every living soul that exists on the earth at this particular moment is in one of two camps. Eternally lost or eternally saved. And the deciding factor has everything to do with their relationship with Jesus Christ. For those of us who are in that camp of eternally saved, we're called to live lives that profess that faith and live lives that profess that confident expectation of a home in heaven, offering ourselves as spiritual sacrifices before God, being part of that living temple to proclaim the good news of God who's far more accessible today than he was in the Old Testament. Not only accessible, but intimate. And our job is also to hold a light out for those that need to see it. If you're here this morning and you have not given your life to Christ, if you've not taken him as your Lord and your Savior, not only the one whose, whose blood washes you free from sin, but, but who's the Lord and master of your life, if you can make that profession of faith, we'd love to celebrate with the angels today as you become a saved soul with eternal destiny in heaven. If you walked away from God and you're ready to come back, we'd love to walk with you on that journey. If you just want to see what the Bible has to say about God's plan for your life, we'd love to be part of that as well. There's one way, any way we can serve you, if you're at home, call, text, reach out. If you're here, come forward. Let's stand. Let's sing.